Rob Salome has been in leadership roles for over 27 years, including time in the Army as an officer and garrison commander of Fort Campbell. Rob talks with Katie and Charlie about the lessons he has learned throughout the years, including from former Vice President Joe Biden when Rob served as a military aide. Rob also talks about working with millennials as they begin to fill the numerous job openings being left by retiring baby boomers and the unique perspectives they bring to the workforce. All on this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. Rob has 27 years of leadership experience, so we're going to talk a little bit today about leadership. Sure. But before we get started, Charlie, mustache you a question. Mustache me a question. Go for it. All right. So, so... um, so Rob is an outdoorsman, and uh, he, he's an expert hunter. Every every time I see a turkey in the road, I take a picture of it and, or a video and send it to him and say, you don't have to go lay out in the mm-hmm. woods. But that's got nothing to do with my question, by the way, other than him being an outdoorsman. So, so I why I go there? But nothing. Because this is what we do. He's, <laughs> okay. a, he's a friend. Okay. So do you boat? Are you a boater? I do boat on occasion, yes. I don't own a boat right now, but I have owned boats before. Well... Well, good, because I have a question. Let's say you go buy a boat. What would you name it and why? Oh, that's good. Ooh. That was a long way around that. That was good, anyway. though. That was good. Hmm. And why? Interesting. That's a, that's a great question. Um, now he's going to have to go get a boat. Yeah. I yeah. Know. No, I, I think I would call it um, introvert, the introvert. And? Why? Because I like to be alone. And you would never think that. I would have never thought you an introvert. Right, mm-hmm. right. But so the reason I like to be in the outdoors is I like to to go out in the woods and just that's where I recharge my batteries. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, some people like to be around people to recharge their batteries. Yeah. That's how I recharge my batteries. So maybe something along those lines. I play with that. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's that's a really good answer because I is a good knowing answer. you, I can see that, and and we have talked about. I wouldn't know. have thought of it till you said it, but after you said it, I was like, ah, oh, I get it. Sure. I used to be a really strong extrovert. I think the older I get, the more introvert I'm getting. Sure, sure. I mean, I, it isn't that I don't like being around people, but it takes more energy for me. So when I need to recharge my batteries, right, I'll go out and and I'll be in the woods. I mean, last weekend there's. No, there's not a, there probably is a hunting season in right now, but I wasn't hunting last weekend, yeah. but I was in the woods. Yeah. Well, did you just go hours. hiking? And yeah, I just, I, I, I go scouting for deer season. So I was in land between the lakes. I have an area there that I love mm-hmm. to walk around in. I just go and wander around and teach it, teach myself more about it. And you see amazing things. Like last weekend when I was in the woods, get this, this is crazy. I found this hog wallow that I kid you not was five feet deep and 20 feet long. Wow. And, and it was filled with, filled with two feet of mud. It was like a spa for pigs. It's unbelievable. That sounds like where you're from. Uh, shut up. I'm well, from Arkansas. Yeah. Like, yeah well, well, what's that? What's that? You mean call Razorbacks, the hog? Yeah, call right? the hog. Right? Yeah. yeah. Do it. No. Oh, okay. There's but, only two times you should call the hog. When you're in a stadium full of other people doing it, or you've been in a bar and you've drank too much. <laughs> <laughs> We're clearly not there right now. Right. But, uh, right. Yeah, so it, it is fascinating to see. You you just come across the craziest things out, out in the woods when you're out yeah. there. I don't know that I would have saw fun. that and realized it was a hog wallow. I don't know if I would have thought. Yeah, so oh, that's yeah. interesting. Well, I was like had my radar up because I didn't have any kind of weapon on me. And I'm yeah. like, these hogs are going to come and get me in any mm-hmm. minute here. But no, it was it's, so it's, it's just stuff like that that... Yeah. There's those those little moments out there when you see things that, you know, you're like, no one else knows about this but me. That's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm, that is cool. 
Well, that kind of that's a really good kind of leadership principle because when you're in a leadership role and you do a lot of leadership training with Twenty One Solutions, Solutions Twenty One, yeah, correct, yeah. So, like, if you, it's important for people who are in leadership roles and doing the hustle and bustle every day to find a way to recharge. Sure, sure. I mean, leadership is a lonely thing, right? Oftentimes, and so when you think about the the responsibilities that you take no one really knows what those are except for you mm -hmm. and no one can carry that burden but you but you also have to know when am i draining myself because ultimately that's detrimental on your team because you get cranky you know right so what do you what advice do you give to that person that says well i just don't have time to go out in the woods i just don't have time to take off and do this sure because your calendar can take over some days it can sure absolutely and i think you have to look at it as an investment you know, mm -hmm. so so your ability to apply energy to anything that you're doing is only so much. I mean, if you take a bottle of water, it can only hold so much water. Right. Mm -hmm. We're we're the same way. We can only hold so much energy. So you tell yourself you don't have time, but you're going to apply less and less of your energy to big problems if you just keep using it all. Mm -hmm. And so when you go out and you do that thing that recharges you, it puts energy back in your cup that now when those big problems come, you've got a reservoir to draw from. That's good. I like that. I actually might use that in a sales meeting. Well, what you should do is use him in a sales meeting. We've been talking. <laughs> That's true. You're welcome. Yeah, but, oh, there you go. But what's amazing to me, I've, I've gotten to know Rob over the last few years now, and every it he amazes me when I listen to him talk because it, now I've I've told you this. I'm before. shaking my head for those of people who can't see me. But right I have now. told. He's you a very this. humble person too, though. But I've I've told him this before. His his way of thinking, his strategic thinking, really has helped me in in not only at work but in life because I see things different because some of the things I pick up from you, we just you already know my personality and we don't have to talk about that. But you know I. I I see how you operate, and it makes me think different when I'm in different situations. So, I, I, I really think that that's a fun thing about being new to Clarksville is that I think that all that's a strength for being in a military town is that you can have people that circulate through here from time to time that maybe we can help people look at from a different angle mm -hmm. so it's kind of like instant replay in a lot of ways when you think about it i mean you know in the old days when you see a, a ball break the plane if the if the ref called that ball it broke the plane it's a touchdown no doubt yeah now we look at like 20 different camera angles and that one angle says it didn't break the plane and you're like oh it's not so that's how i think in the dynamic world we're living in right now things are changing the same way in that things happen so fast that you need lots of different camera angles to make sure that you're getting your big decisions exactly right. And I think that that's a strength for Clarksville is that we have the opportunity to call on lots of different kinds of people's experience and bring it to the table to, because we're, we're in the midst of some big decisions, I think, here in Clarksville right now. Correct. You are correct, and it's there. We're kind of at a crossroad. We're either going to make some decisions that are propel us forward successfully, or we're going to miss some opportunities. Sure, and I think it's those other perspectives that allow us to see opportunities from a just an, another perspective, mm. and that's where this. It's just like instant replay. You're looking at it from a different view, and you can see something that you never saw before. Yeah.
So now you were in the Army for how many years? I was, I was 23 years active duty and four years at West Point. Yep. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yep. You were a garrison commander before you retired here. Mm -hmm. So what made you guys choose to stay in Clarksville? That's a great question. The people is yeah. the short answer to that. When we think about the things that we ask folks to do when they come through here, you know, one of the things that sometimes might not ever, people don't say thank you enough for perhaps is when, when we go away to war, somebody's taking care of our families and taking care of families is not just um you know it's not just the the dad or the mom who's deployed who does that when they're home but it's the soccer coach or the 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 team mom or the sunny school teacher or whomever it is from this community i mean there are little kind things uh we had a, one of the police officers from the city who did something very kind for my wife the other day um and and oh, we nice. actually uh <laughs> thank the mayor because it was just really a nice thing and, and you don't get that everywhere you live yeah. you know mm -hmm. and I've lived a lot of different places and so we, we chose here because the way that that we the collective we in this community treat one another is unlike anywhere else that we've ever lived and we've lived in a lot of different places so that that was the reason I was here first in 2005 to 8 so we were here for we lived here for 40 months and I was deployed 27 of those 40 months oh wow so and and, and so and to and that was just the combat deployments not the being away from home doing yeah. training um, type deployments and so that uh, I depended on other people to take care of my family in this community did that in spades so then the second time I came back I was the garrison commander and now my, my the roles were reversed I was responsible for taking care of families yep. in this community, uh, or in in on Fort Campbell, running the base, everything from childcare to airfields to, you know, the families of the deployed, and I really feel like you can't do that by yourself as a garrison commander. It takes it takes the entire community, whether it's Hopkinsville or Clarksville or Montgomery County or or just citizens in your church, whomever it is. It takes all of us to take care of one another. And I think that we do that really well here. And so uh, my wife and I said, or Patricia, uh, who you both know, but not everyone has been fortunate enough to meet her just yet, uh, is just an incredible uh, community that we wanted to be a part of. Like, we can, we can get behind that. And mm -hmm. we just want to be part of that team. Well, I think I've jumped right in, and Patricia is, she's really good about getting out and networking and meeting people, mm -hmm. and she's not, if you're around her, you're going to get to know her because she's going to make sure she gets to know you. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty, I agree. She is, she is a sweetheart and, and an amazing person, and she, she just loves helping people, and so, you know, she's the type of person that, um, just like you said, when... When, when she's in a room, she's going to try and get to know every single person yeah. in the room. Mm -hmm. And she's going to try and figure out what they need and give it to them. And if that means go and get them a glass of water, she'll do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if that means that they need a babysitter on Friday night uh, or they need somebody to listen to them. I didn't know she babysit. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say she babysat. She'll help you find one. Yeah. <laughs> we do have two daughters. Uh, so I, the, um, that's an, I, I, just, I learn so much from her all yeah. the time. Because she does have a servant heart. She does. She, mm -hmm. That's a great description of her. She has an incredible servant heart. And so 
um, that's not necessarily a strength that I have. And one of the things that, that I find in watching her is I can, I'm better because of her. And so that's, that's really important because that's being, having a big servant heart. You can't get enough of that. Right. So now I agree with Charlie in that every time I talk to you, I do get a little nugget. So where did you learn all these leadership skills? Where, mm -hmm. I mean, did it just come naturally to you? I mean, did you have a mentor? Where did you learn? Yeah. Because you're really good at saying, okay, this is who Charlie is, and we're going to put him doing his strength. This is who Katie is. Let's do her strength. This mm -hmm. is me. I'm going to mm -hmm. work within my... You're really good at mm -hmm. that stuff. So mm -hmm. where did you learn that yourself? Well, there's a few things. I think, first of all, is, you know... Um, I have a very strong faith. I like to read the Bible, and I think Jesus is a great example. When you see how he tells stories and the way that he, he uses stories to just help people see themselves, I take a lot away from that. So that, that's, that's probably my start point. The second part would be I've been on some amazing teams through the, the course of my career. So, you know, from the time I was in college at West Point, I mean, those are all top 1% people that you're surrounding yourself with. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I never got a 3.0 my entire college career. Um, and, but there was plenty of people who did, and they were brilliant. And so they were always making me better. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from there mm -hmm. I went to the 82nd Airborne Division, and, and we had incredible leaders that I served under that – Little did I know that they would become four-star generals later. Right. You know, uh, and then I went to Vincenza, Italy in the 173rd Airborne. And of the leaders that I had there, none of us knew it at the time. But out of the, the eight majors that I had out of there, six out of eight became mm -hmm. general officers. Wow. And, and I, that may not mean uh, something to everyone who's listening to this. But what it means is, is they were really great people to watch and learn from mm -hmm. and so i've just been fortunate to be on really really talented teams and i just take something from everyone and, and i've been on bad teams too and in bad i've had bad leadership experiences but i learned from those you learn you learn what not to do right right and and so you know how do you keep those that that's probably those two things are important and the third thing i would say is i try and read as much as i can ab about the subject because i'm passionate about it and so that's been really helpful to help me look at things through other people's perspective yeah i i, I want to go back just for a second and talk about your career mm -hmm. uh your military career and there's a couple of things that i always like to ask you about but one question i ask is of all of your jobs what was your favorite yeah so this is one that people wouldn't expect but i was a ranger instructor of the u.s army ranger school for almost two years and that's in Dahlonega Georgia it's out in the middle of nowhere you're on the Appalachia Trail like your job is literally literally to train these top performing uh, guys to become army rangers and uh, let them figure out who they are it's the army's premier leadership school but it's like really physically tough so you're rock climbing you're hiking the Appalachia Trail every day um, they're carrying huge heavy loads and you're right there with them the whole way mm. and so we had a lot of autonomy it was a lot of fun I was outside all the time all the time right so I love that I love that and, mm -hmm. and no one really messed with you because some of the things we were doing was so physically tough that no one really came to 
to bother us. We just <laughs> did what we needed to do. Um, and so that was really a lot of fun. So I'd say that was probably my favorite my favorite job. I bet you were probably in really physically fit during that time too, if that's what you were out doing all day long. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, we had a bunch of yeah. incredible people. And you know, the, the my team, so I was in charge of 27 rangers, and then we were teaching about 200 ranger students at a time, all year long. Okay. And so those 27 rangers that I was with, man, were they talented people. Mm -hmm. um, and so because they were so talented, and we were all pretty much the same age and level of experience. You just are learning something yeah. from everyone all the time. I mean, I might have been the guy that had the positional authority, but they might have more experience than me in something. And so we were all learning something from one another all the time. It was what, great. What's the, the I, I want to call it the pass-fail rate of someone going to ranger, ranger oh, school? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think now it's in the 20 percent. Or less. Yeah. Twenty percent so. pass. Right. Oh wow. So that shows you. Yeah. Shows you how tough that yeah. is. Yeah. It might even be lower than that. I'd yeah. have to look it up. But yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, there was another job that I always like to ask you about. Well, you were the military aide to the vice president. Sure. And, yeah. And yeah. and you've used, you've used the term carry the football. Yeah. So, so can yeah. You tell me about. Tell me about. Sure. That. So from 2009 to 2010, I was. Vice President Biden's military aide. And that was during the period where the administrations flipped from the Bush administration to the Obama administration. So I was fortunate to be there during the period where you see this new administration come in and learning how to be the executive branch. And most people don't know that the military, there's over a thousand military people that work for the executive branch to do everything from medical to communications to uh, coordinating flights and air operations. And so all those military folks are, we're helping keep the executive branch, the, you know, we're, we're like the engine room that yeah. keeps everything flowing so that they can figure out, okay, let's steer the ship this direction. And so that was one of my roles. And I did carry the, the, the football as it's called. And so I uh, can't talk a lot about all those things yeah. that we did with that, but there's five military aides, one per branch of service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard. And so I was on a team of five, and we were with the vice president 24 hours a day, 365. And so one of us was always with him, like within feet. Like he didn't go in an elevator without huh. one of us. Yeah. Um, and, and then... So well, if he needed private time, you were outside the door? Correct. Oh, wow. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or like when he, when he went home at night, we were somewhere within a distance of him yeah. all mm -hmm. night long. Yeah. Uh, so that and which vice president was this? Which uh, Vice President Biden. Okay. Yep. And so now he's running for president. So it's neat to see someone that you know well yeah. uh -huh. running for president. And I think it was interesting to, to see him um, as a patriarch. So, uh, and what I mean by that is that getting to, because you're around him 24 hours a day, you get to see him as a dad and a grandfather. As just um, a person. And as a person. And so, Watching him um, as a, a, a person who uh, really is very relatable, who, you know, when you see him be a dad, you say, man, am I a good dad like that? Yeah. Oh, um, that's a nice thing to say. It, yeah. It's true, though. It, it really is true. Uh, and, and the love that he showed for his, his children and his grandchildren um, and, and just seeing the way he... he he they knew that family was important and there was mm -hmm. no question 
um, that, that everyone knew that they were loved in that family. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And then the other thing is to, to see um, how human our leaders are at the executive branch. And, you know, The Wizard of Oz is a fun movie to watch because, you know, the, that it's cool when they go in and they see the guy behind the curtain. And like, it's just a guy behind the curtain pulling some switches. Right. Right. And, and he's human, just like us. And I think that's a great visual of what our leaders of our country are, whether they're you know, uh, our, the mayors of our cities and the county and our, our council members and, and the president and the vice, but they're humans um, who are, are, have human needs and human weaknesses and um, they make decisions based on the people that they surround themselves with, just like we all do. And so it was really cool to learn and watch those kinds of decisions happen and realize that, you know, I think maybe it's easy for us all to think that they're they're bigger and better than all of us. But they probably agonize over some of their decisions as well. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so they're very human. It doesn't matter what administration they are, it's still hard to be a leader and to see the sacrifices because you see them get beat up. I mean, literally destroyed uh, all the time in the media. No, social media does right. not help. And I don't think it matters whether you're talking about the city or the county. It still probably hurts when people say bad things mm -hmm. about you. You would think so. <laughs> right. You know? And, mm -hmm. and so how, how we, it's easy for us all to throw stones, but we don't realize the weight that these leaders are carrying for the rest of us. Yeah. When they choose to put themselves, every decision they make, is for it's on public display and mm -hmm. for everyone to judge that's tough and right. not everyone is always going to agree and right. most generally it's the negative ones that are the loudest yeah yeah you know um, vice president biden told me one time he said you got to know where you're willing to compromise you know um and and that's something that i that's always took advice. away it, it is and, mm -hmm. and so you know it's something that i've always <clears throat> really thought hard about if i'm going to compromise on something, am I really thinking through what what those compromises are, yeah. and what am I willing to compromise on? It is really fascinating piece of advice. And if you watch politics today, the word compromise is never used. It's it's almost a lost art. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll tell you, it, it's funny you say that because yes, he, he's right. He talked about that all the time. Uh, and one, we were on the plane one time, and we were flying uh, somewhere, and we were on like a a small plane like a like a, a G, G3 or a G4 jet so it's small maybe 20 passengers and so the compartment that we were in it's kind of divided into two compartments mm -hmm. the back is where the Secret Service and the medical folks and the communications people were sitting and the front cabin is where he sat well we ran out of seats in the back where I normally would have sat and so I had to sit up in the cabin where he was but there's only two executive seats up there he was in one of them, and then there's a bench. So I'm sitting on the uh, the bench with my seatbelt on. I don't know if it was very safe, but that's where I, I had to sit. So I'm sitting maybe three feet away from him, um, and he's going through. And that particular day, he was switching out his briefcases. Again, you talk about the humanity mm -hmm. of people. It was like he was just he had an old briefcase and a new briefcase. So while he was on the plane, he was taking some material and putting it into this new briefcase, and he pulls this photograph so an old four by six 
physical photograph, which we barely see anymore, mm-hmm. pulls it wedged out behind and it pulls out and it's him and, and Bob Dole. And they're sitting there and they're in a picture together and they're, um, they were playing softball. And the two of them were out there. You could see other people behind them all playing softball. And he's like, he says, you see this? He's like, he held up the picture. He said, this is how decisions used to be made. You argue all day in front of, you know, on on the floor. And then you go and you figure out where you got to compromise on the ball field. That's Mm -hmm. how it used to work. And that's how it needs to work again. So I don't. I don't want this to sound like some sort of an advertisement, but I'm just saying that um, he had a different, unique view on these things. Yeah. Interesting. No, I think it's very interesting. I didn't realize that you worked for him. That's the first time I've been hearing this story. So. Oh, yeah, how about that? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. We went all over the world. We took five trips to Iraq during the period. So you were gone a lot away from home then. About 20 days a month. Okay. About 20 days a month. So. You know, that's one thing you don't think about with military people is some there's deployed to combat, but then there's, you know, you're deployed all over the country doing other things, doing other things, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've through all this, you've learned a lot about leadership. So now mm-hmm. you're working for Solutions 21. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about what that, that that job is. What do you do? Sure. So so uh, Solutions 21 uh, is an organization and we partner with companies to um, deliver strategic uh, leadership solutions. And so we, we, we want to do three things to help them. The, every company has current leaders that, that are doing great things, but maybe haven't had uh, a tune-up lately, or they want to talk more, or they, they don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of, or like we said, leadership is lonely at the top. There's no one to, there's no sounding board. And mm-hmm. so how do you create some time and, and space to let those leaders grow to help your company continue to sustain moment, momentum? Because sometimes it, it can get, you know, it's it's the that that hamster wheel of mm-hmm. being a leader that, it, it, you know, you need somebody to help you recharge and move and, and, and be innovative and think about new things. So that's one thing that we do is we help current leaders. The other thing that we do is we help build next generation leaders. And so... When we say next generation leaders, you know, the baby boomer generation is, and most people don't know this, 10,000 baby boomers a day are retiring out of the workforce in America. That's a lot. It really is. And so when you think about that, who's, who's backfilling those positions? And so the answer to that question is millennials. Millennials are filling those positions. And the reason for that is, is that as baby boomers retire, there's there's 78 million of them in America, people that are that are our age. The we would all be Generation X. Um, so Generation X is your 1965 to 1979. Anybody born in that period is a Gen Xer, and so there's that's only, us, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, barely. <laughs> so <laughs> we. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> so there's there's only 60 million of us. So there's just statistically not enough people our age to fill the baby boomer roles. That's right. And so those millennials, that's anybody born between 1980 and 2000, there's 84 million of them. They are going to leap over Gen Xers and fill those baby boomer vacated positions. That is a fact. It does. It's not a choice. It is a fact. It's interesting that you say that because I that happens here even in my organization, and I didn't realize there was a reason for that. I just thought I had some talented people. 
Yeah. You know, we're right. Uh I mean, those are the people that we have. And Mm -hmm. so you've got to make them talented, too. Mm -hmm. And I know you invest a lot in making sure that your folks are are talented. And that's that it's it's hard to do that. Mm -hmm. It's hard to run a business and invest in your talent. And there's almost no one out there who is doing that well by themselves, particularly we focus on mid-market companies. So we're talking about people who have from 10 employees to a thousand. That, that's kind of our, our sweet spot. And what we find is in companies like that, they don't always have the ability to stand up their own leader development capacity inside of them. That doesn't mean they don't need it. Um, they actually need it more. I mean, that's 80 plus percent of the companies in America mm-hmm. are in that, that sweet spot there. And so we can be that augmentation to come in and help them build that next generation of talent again it's not because they don't want to it's not because they can't it's because they're trying to keep their business afloat and they need they need some uh, augmentation Mm -hmm. and we're a solution that can come in and help with that and we're we're much less um expensive than trying to hire somebody to do it and we bring with us an entire i mean an What's been really cool for me is we have all these tools. We ha- we have lots of repetitions. Uh, we have re- we pulled together a very talented team of people, and so we bring all that with us. Well, and also sometimes when you're caught up in the middle of it, you're too close to see what the issue is, and getting someone like you guys come in from the outside, you just look at it from a whole perspective. That's right. That's right. And we, you know, um, we were talking before we started the broadcast. I mean. Um, in a week's time, I may be working with four or five companies and getting to see behind their Wizard of Oz curtain for all of them. And I'm, I'm able to apply that to the next company and the next company and the next company. So we just ha- we, we're fortunate to, to have lots of repetitions. And, you know, we work all over the country and, and the world. We have international clients as well. Um, so in the month of, of April... I was in California, Florida, Texas, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, helping all these companies. But I don't I really want to I don't want to grow talent and and capacity in other cities. Mm -hmm. I want to grow talent capacity here. And that's why uh, when I took this job, we're in Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Phoenix. And then I run what we call our Nashville office, but which is actually here in Clarksville. So if you ever see the Purple Mansion, uh, at, uh, everybody calls Street. it the Purple House on Madison Street. That's Solutions 21. We're right across from CDE Light Band. And we would love to see folks come in and, and stop by and visit us. We'll give them a tour of that, that old house, which actually was Austin P's wife's childhood home. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it neat? Have you been in his office? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's cool. Uh, and so we're fortunate to have a place like that. But um, we want to build that capability in in this region yeah for nashville here uh there there are tons of folks who are in a place where they need this but they're not sure what to do about it right and another when you were talking about millennials something else that i thought about because you're talking about millennials jumping over there are i think a lot of people give them a bad rap and don't give them a chance Mm. like i'm very blessed in this building that my some of my millennials i mean I've got some really talented mm. people, mm. but I think a lot of people just naturally say, oh, well, they're a millennial, and it's like a yeah. bad word. Right. But the, in my experience, they 
want to make they want to work hard they want to please you they care they want you to be proud of their right. work right and if we as managers can empower empower that yeah then i agree they're 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 some of the best right people to work with well and when you think about it i mean millennial has had this negative connotation yeah it's like a curse word and most millennials don't even like to be categorized with like they'll figure out any way they can to say that they're mm -hmm. not one mm -hmm. you know right um but the reality is is you know if they're if we're talking about 1980 to 2000, the oldest millennial is 39 years old. Mm -hmm. Well, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of millennials out there that are a lot more talented than me, um, that are making a lot more money right. in this world. Um, and, and so, you know, they're running our country, whether we want to admit it or not. They tend, in, in my ways. experience, to care very deeply. And if they care about their job, they're going to put everything well, into it. Well, that's the trick. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we've seen is this, this shift in ideology with the generations, whereas in previous generations, people, they looked at work as uh, uh, you join one company, you got a pension from that company, and you just worked your way up the ladder as it became available, yep. you know, and that's not how millennials look at their careers. Mm -mm. They look at it as a, a check, check, uh, checkerboard or a lattice where I, I, I move up a couple rungs, but if I see that I can't move anymore, um, or I'm not going to move as fast as I want. I'm, 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 I'll take a step back because it'll allow me to jump forward later. Yeah. And so they move around the lattice. They'll move diagonal, backwards, um, up, down, because they know they have a vision for their life and they're going to get to it. But they know, particularly, I mean, we all also, 2008 had a huge impact on the millennial generation because they really took a beating during that period and they learn from that. And so they also realize is don't put all your eggs in one basket. So they're not looking to work for one company. Mm -hmm. they're, look, they're, they're looking to work for multiple companies that enable them to achieve their, their outcomes, which like you said, the way that you invest in your people and empower them, that's the secret is that the companies that are investing in their people are the ones that are retaining the best talent. And so we know Amazon is coming to Nashville right now. And as they, look to hire 5,000 people, that's going to have this ripple effect. In an economy that has a low unemployment rate already. Yeah, exactly. One of the lowest in the country, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at that, so Amazon's going to get their people. That's oh, yeah. going to happen because they'll just, they'll pay them more, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of a sexy job to say, I work at Amazon. That's right. That's right. And so what will happen is because it's a low unemployment area and there's not enough people moving here to fill all those jobs, they're taking that talent from someone else. And it's going to be that small business owner that's in that, that sweet spot I just talked about, that mid-market company, who's going to give up talent to go fill the ranks of Amazon. They're going to go there for a while and they're not going to be happy, but you're leaving that other business with a hole that they got to fill. And so they're going to fill it from someone else. Someone is going to, there's losers in this right. deal. And how do you not be a loser in in this Amazon deal? And that is that you've got to invest in your talent. Yeah, and you know, I you know, I worked with you some in the workforce field, and you, you go back to these uh, to the Gen Xers and the Baby Boomers, and we have a way of working. A lot of times, people think, well, you have to be in the office from eight to five mm -hmm. to get anything done. If you're out of the office, you're not productive. Baby Boomers. You know, things have changed electronically. You, I get so much done on my phone or on my iPad. And in so, the coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, just, sure. you know, mm -hmm. out moving around. Yep. And so there was a term I heard a few years ago 
called flexpectations, mm-hmm. right? And and the way I used that was I haven't heard the, that, but the, I like it. The the millennials yeah. have mm-hmm. expectations. The the baby boomers, the Gen Xers have expectations, and nobody seems to be flexible. So we have to morph that and have flexpectations by saying, okay, you need to be in the office, but if you can get this stuff done this way, and then you can both kind of accommodate each other. To help grow your business. That's so. a great I point. like that to turn. How about I'm yeah. going to use that. That's going to be new in my vocabulary, right. Charlie. Good so, job. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's absolutely true. And what we find is that that way of thinking that it's actually counterproductive. And there is no statistical evidence that says that you get more out of a person when they're in under the roof of your business yeah. between this hour and this hour um, that says you get more as opposed to compared to those who don't enforce yeah. that um they actually there's more evidence to the contrary which shows that that people who have more flexible work schedules get more hours more product productive hours yeah out of their people than they do uh the other in the old way yeah. it's really been interesting to right. watch right. you know and there are people there are jobs that people need to be there no There's doubt. no doubt about it. There are those jobs that need to be there. But even in banking, banking is so mobile now. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you go out and you're, you're looking for business, radio. I mean, you guys are out. Well, home in the area. So, I mean, there's a lot can be done if you get the right person in the right job. Well, Absolutely. And, and sometimes a lot more can be done. Like if someone says, hey, I'm going to work from home today working on this because you're not interrupted. Right. You're focused on just getting it done. That's right. That's right. And. You know, one of the things that we saw that, and I think we saw this sooner in the military, uh, particularly in the Army, maybe in the Marine Corps as well, is that when we went over to to fight the war over the last, you know, unfortunately 18 years now, um, that we, we, we had to do some pretty incredible things in order to get the job done. And the people who were doing that were millennials. Yeah. And you just needed to empower them to do it. And... And we didn't really have a choice. It's not like we, you know, we were stacked with a bunch of Gen Xers. You know, right. we had to fight with millennials. But you know what? Um, when you empower them, when you give them clear guidance and expectations, and you trust them to do it, and you are transparent as a leader, and let them actually see, it, it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. how to do this or I don't know the answer I need you to help me figure it out I need your help <clears throat> that's right mm-hmm. don't be too prideful to say those kinds of things that when you say those things though that invigorates them yeah. they don't think you're weak they actually are excited because I get to be part of the solution they want to make a difference exactly yeah. exactly like we all do mm-hmm. you know I don't know too many people who be like, I don't care about making a difference. It's all about me. It's true. There are people <laughs> out there, but most people right. want to make a difference uh-huh. in this world. So, they're, you know, millennials are maybe even more so in some respects. They want to make a difference. So, you know, what I found, and particularly in Afghanistan, I had an incredible team. And when when I was able to say to them, this is what I don't know. I need you to help me fill in these blanks. They would go out and do some amazing work to find the answers. Um, and I'm not t- just talking about, you know, um, one, one demographic of people. I mean, it was it was men, it was women, it was other races, it was people, even Afghan young people, Afghan soldiers. When we said, "Hey, do you know the answer to this?" They just wanted to be part of the solution. 
you know, you just got to trust and empower. So I think your your point earlier mm-hmm. on empowering people is powerful. I think, I think the older generation leaders just need to be open-minded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we, when, even when we look within our own community, I mean, the things that we need to do to, to grow doesn't mean that we're devaluing the old. And there are slackers in every generation. That's, that Those people should not define the whole group That's of right. people. But it's easier. Our biases yeah. make it easy yeah. for us to, to just define a generation by the slackers. Mm-hmm. You know? But the reality is the opposite, is that you know, there's a lot more incredible people um, out there trying to make a big difference. You see what I'm talking about? When you talk to him and you listen to him, you start thinking differently. No, oh, yes, I've always felt that. I've always, <laughs> I'm I've just always admired you, him. I've told you that. Well, I mean, I, this is a two-way me. conversation, so I mean, you guys are helping me think through things too. So well, I appreciate that's it. that's how communities work with each other. So, in closing, do you, if you could give any advice to, let's just say, a, like a young professional who's just kind of starting out in their career. What, what would you what would you tell them to do? Hmm. That's a good one. I would say look at ways that you can add value and then be patient. Yeah, that's good. Because one of the things that we see, there's there's a couple components to this is is that it used to be that the people at the top of the organization knew everything and the people who were new were know nothings in theory, right? But now we find that people who are coming into companies have incredible things to add right out of the gate. Um, Like they understand how to use, um, how to take what they learned in school and look at your problem and apply it in ways that maybe you hadn't thought about. Or, you know, oftentimes, you know, technology is a big one. You know, they they know ways to use technology to solve problems. And in the dynamic world that we're living in, um, the person at the top, it's impossible to know everything. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, so don't assume that they know everything and be willing to say, "Hey, well, I have a thought. Let, let me let me tell you what I, you know how I can add value." And, and then, but realize that you also are going to have to to be patient in adding that value mm-hmm. because just working working hard, showing the value that you're adding, and then letting your your um, persistence show your value and soon you'll be off to the races that's good advice about that yep well thank you for coming in today thank you for having me i hope me. you'll come back because we could probably even do a whole we could probably do another podcast another podcast just some, there's fun. so many different topics right you got that there right. is there is I, it was a pleasure thank you for having me and uh, we look forward to to being part of this community Clarksville's Conversation. Subscribe now on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss a single conversation.